Would you take your Bible and once again turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. And we're going to look at chapter 6 just as a quick flyover, but beginning in verse 3 through verse 11 of 2 Kings. The title of this study, Out of the Life of Elisha, the prophet, is The Best of Things in the Worst of Times. When I pastored uh, here in, in Naples, I had the privilege a number of times to go to Scroon Lake, New York, and preach for the Summer Bible Conference at uh, Word of Life Conference Center. My very first summer there, I was joined with another pastor teacher from Calvary Baptist in New York City, Dr. Don Hubbard. And he shared the story of how they took a youth group to Word of Life there, particularly the island where they have a, a very special camp. And they brought a young lady, a teenage girl, who was both mentally and physically challenged. On Wednesday night, every week, they would have a commitment service around a campfire. I participated in one of those. But in this particular week, uh, they, all, they called on the students to make a full surrender of their lives by taking a stick and throwing it in the fire. Very typical tradition of Word of Life. And this young lady held that stick. No one moved. No one stood up. And finally she, with great effort, stood up and she slung herself around and walked around the campfire looking into the eyes of each of the students. And finally she said, I don't know why God made me like this, but He can have all of me there is. And she threw the stick in the fire. And the students were so moved that many of them came to faith in Christ or surrendered in many different ways to the Lord. God uses the unusual, but particularly because He uses the usable as well as the unusual. And we see that with four lepers in this story. And these four lepers were part of a committee. They formed a committee. They must have been good Baptists. And they made a very significant decision. Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me and let's stand and read from 2 Kings chapter 7. And we're going to see what they did. And in a moment, I'll explain the context. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we will die also. Now therefore, come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. They were the uh, besieging army that had surrounded the city. If they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, we will but die. <coughs> they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians 
to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, now here's the key verse right here, verse 9. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. But we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city. And they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans, and behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents, just as they were. The gatekeepers called and told it within the king's household. God uses the usable and the unusual. You may be seated. Now, woefully, this is a day of bad news. It was certainly a day of bad news in that time because this Aramean army had, uh, under King Ben-Hadad II, come against King Joram of Samaria or Israel. They had completely surrounded and blockaded the city. It reminds me of what the Russians are doing in Ukraine and what the Chinese are trying to do to Taiwan even right now. It was a tremendous threat. They were threatened with total annihilation. But then there was also a destruction of the economy. Not only was the enemy too strong, but the economy was too far gone. They had gone to such heights of inflation that for food in this famine that they were experiencing, a donkey's head for food sold for two pounds of silver and dove dung for two ounces of silver. And you see all of this terrible situation in chapter 6, verses 25 uh, through 33. And it was so bad they had reverted to cannibalism. And there's a story in here of two women who decide to uh, eat their sons, of all things. And uh, one says, all right, I'll go first, then you go. And then the next one backs out, and she doesn't fulfill her bargain to save her son. But it was also a time when God's judgment was upon the nation because of the leaders. King Joram was not walking with the Lord. And you see this situation as he's walking along the walls, and he hears what's happening in this issue of cannibalism. And he tore his clothes. Now what's interesting is underneath his kingly robes was sackcloth, which was for mourning. He was making a big show of things. He had already prepared for a time to mourn and act like he really cared, but he really didn't. He was hypocritical. He was ungodly. He was cruel. And right after this, he says, I want the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat, in verse 31. And he uses the same terminology of his mother Jezebel when she threatened to have the head of Elijah. This is one ungodly man. 
And the nation was suffering because of his ungodly, unwise leadership. And so they would not listen to the Lord. They would not hear the word of the prophet. But Elisha is still in the story. And Elisha the prophet uh, recognizes that the king and his messenger are going to come and try to capture him. And in the last part of chapter uh, 6, he says in verse 32 through 33, bar the door. And then before they could even get to the door to bar the door, in walks the messenger of the king and then the king himself. And they mock this man of God. This evil is from the Lord, they said. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? In other words, I've got to take things in my own hands. God's not going to help us. And Elisha predicted that God would do a miracle with abundant prosperity, with plenty of food, and the inflation would change. You know, we're in the worst inflation right now of 40 years. Yes, it's a recession. It could become even worse. But this was the most unbelievable. This was the worst of times. They would not listen to the prophet. And the king's royal officer, he's called, probably chief of staff, mocks the man of God. And he says in chapter 7, as it begins in verse 2, should the Lord, behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be that he said, then Elisha said, behold, you will see this with your own eyes but you will not eat of it. And that prophecy came true when he was trampled underfoot by the people in the midst of their desire to get enough food to eat and to be saved. The props had been knocked out, and it was a day of terrible news on every hand. But when the darkness seems to overcome us, the light can shine the brightest. Actually, in chapter 8 of uh, this very same book. The Bible says that in verse 19, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he had promised him to give a lamp to him through his sons always. We are a lamp shining in a dark place, as Peter would write later. We are in a dark time right now. This is a time of bad news, but it is also a time of the best news ever. And so secondly, wonderfully, this is a day of good news, to quote the lepers. Now, God uses the usable and the unusual, just like these lepers, who understand that they are under condemnation. You'll notice that in verse 3, they were sitting at the gate and the gate was the place of judgment and of the law being exacted. They were not in the city. They were by the gate. They were not allowed in because they were lepers. And people thought that leprosy, as we saw in a preceding study, was a sign of God's judgment on their sin. And they knew they were sinners, but they were also outcast, and they had to cry, unclean, or they would be stoned to death as lepers. So here they sit at the gate. And I want to just say to all of us, no matter how good-looking you are, no matter how smart or how successful, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And unless we hear and follow the good news of the gospel, 
we will be lost forever. But then God also uses those who choose wisely. That's what it means particularly to be usable. And you see that in verses 3 and 4. This committee decides to weigh their options. The four lepers say, you know, as they begin to reason, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, uh, they'll kill us. They won't let us come in. We'll die of famine there anyway. If we go to the enemy, perhaps they will take pity on us and we will live. All in favor say, aye. It was unanimous. They decided at twilight to come and go to the Arameans, the enemy. This is very significant, folks, because they are thinking and reasoning. You see, God made us in His image, according to Genesis 1.27. But that image has been effaced, but not erased. We still have a logical capability. And God has not made us as robots. We have the ability to choose, even though we have disabling depravity, as my friend Dr. Richard Land would call it. But we have a choice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 37, Paul said that a man has authority over his own will. He has authority over his own will. Now, some say there's a, there's a conflict between human responsibility and divine sovereignty. There may be tension, but not conflict. There is mystery in all that God is and does. We can't understand everything. We cannot slot it into a system or a box. But God says, if you are able to follow me, then you're also able to reject me, and vice versa. I believe that God is calling us to make a choice and to choose wisely. That's why the Bible says, whoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. But it also says, no man can come to him unless the Spirit draws him. I've got to be honest, uh, our little teacup minds cannot comprehend the ocean of God's truth. But we can embrace the fact that the Lord says, come and choose wisely and accept my good news that I offer. In 1829, a man named George Wilson was sentenced to be hanged. I don't know the crime, but amazingly, President Jackson pardoned him. But Wilson refused to accept the pardon. It went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States, and Chief Justice John Marshall gave this rendered statement and conclusion. He said, a pardon is a piece of paper, but if that pardon is not accepted by the person implicated, it is no longer a pardon. And the man refusing to accept forgiveness and a pardon of the death penalty allowed himself to be hung, and he died. The Bible says we have a choice, and that's why Jesus said, uh, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Paul said that Jesus died as a ransom for the whole world, for the sins of the whole world. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
But then God also uses those, the usable, even the unusual, who are willing to take the first step. That's why in verse 4, they said in chapter 7, Come and let us go over. And then the very next verse, they arose at twilight. You know why they did it at twilight? Because they didn't want the people in the city to see what they were doing. And amazingly, at that exact same time, God stepped in and did something amazing. But they took the first step. You see, God calls you in not blind faith, but it's faith that is a leap of faith toward the light, not toward the darkness. It's that step of faith that says, God, I don't have to understand everything. I don't even know all the, that, that's going on here, but I'm going to take the first step and choose to come to you. What a great blessing that is. I've seen that it's like turning on the ignition of a car. The car standing still, but when you turn the key into the ignition or push button the ignition, the car, the power starts the vehicle can move. Come to Jesus. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that hears say, come, is at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. Because you see, you're only one step away from salvation, one prayer away from forgiveness of sin, one embracing of the Lord away from him giving you new life. You not only choose wisely, but then you have to take a step of action. And then God also uses those who trust that He is working. That He is working. Notice in verses 6 and 7, He does an amazing auditory miracle of hallucination. At another point in time with the Moabites, He did a visual hallucinatory miracle. But this is one where they heard the sound of chariots and horses and troops, and the Aramaeans just knew they had been, uh, uh, they were about to be attacked by mercenaries from Egypt and the Hittites. And in complete disarray, they fled. I think in terms of uh, watching in the Iraq war, not the Iraqi war, but the Persian Gulf war, and that long stream of uh, Iraqi troops fleeing out of uh, the battlefield, and the whole uh, highway just strewn with vehicles and equipment and all of that, and they just ran for the hills all the way to the Jordan River. Is how far they fled in disarray. Right here, because of a miracle of God at work. God is working. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, My Father is always working, and I am working. This was one of the most important principles when I became pastor here in Naples in 1992. We couldn't see a lot of things going on that, uh, that would be happening in a spiritual, powerful way. But I, I read this verse, and I claimed this verse. God is at work at all times, and we need to get in on what he's up to. And so we started saying, look for God's sightings. Look for God's sightings. He is at work. He is doing things we cannot see or even understand. That's why the Lord told Paul the apostle about Ephesus, I have many 
people in this city. Acts 18.10. In another one of those prayer times on the beach, quite honestly, I was up at Bonita Beach taking a little prayer retreat one time back in 2007. And uh, I, I don't know why I was going through a low time and a time of questioning what God was doing and uh, having to make some major decisions about ministry opportunities. And I looked out, and across the water was the Sanibel Lighthouse. You know, you know where it is. And, and I, I just focused on that, and I saw that light as it was beaming, and then it would go around and disappear, and then come around, and then it would shine again. And then it would go back into the darkness. And the Lord really spoke to my heart through that. And he said, I am at working when you can't even see it. I'm shining where it's dark. And I'm shining when it seems to be light. Amen. And it encouraged my heart. A lamp shining in a dark place. And so the lepers going into the camp. No one's there. The enemy has fled. The tents are abandoned. The food is still there being cooked. Horses and mules are still tied. Uh, everything had been just left. And so they began to eat and eat and eat and eat. And they took the loot. They found all this treasure and they went and they hid it. And they probably hid some food too, thinking maybe you know, if I get really hungry later tonight, I can go back and get some more food. And then all of a sudden they realized, wait a minute, something's not right here. And so here's another principle. God uses the usable and the unusual who know that this is the day to share the treasure. Look at verse 9. This is that key verse. We are not doing right. This is the day of good news, but we are keeping silent. This is the day of good news. They knew the good news. No one else in the city did, but they could go and tell them, and they could then alleviate the famine and the hardship and the death if they could tell the good news. This is the day. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, that says something very significant about this. <laughs> Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, that is God's rest and provision, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just as it had been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God has hinge points in history, windows of opportunity, moments of choosing, and those times may come, and then they may quickly go and disappear. This may be that kind of a time for our nation. This could be this time for this church or for you in your life, that moment, that brief window of opportunity when God says, I have something wonderful for you if you'll be willing to get in on it. I don't know. But I do know that today is the day when God speaks, we must respond today. Come and let us go. 
You know, they, they realized that they needed to enter this open door. But I want to tell you, we need to pray for open doors. As I was studying in Colossians one day, not long ago, God showed me something in chapter 4. Colossians in the New Testament, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It's how to pray for missions, by the way. It's how to pray for any opportunity that God may have for you. As Paul said, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. In other words, we need an open door of opportunity to act. An open heart of receptivity to believe. An open mouth of speaking. An authority to speak in witness. And an open mind of clarity to understand. And that's what you pray for. You want to witness to your, uh, your family members or someone at work. Keep these four principles in mind. And ask God to open that door of opportunity, to give that person a heart of receptivity, a witness of authority, and then for them to have an open mind of clarity to understand. But there, here's another truth. God uses us he uses the usual, obviously, but He also uses the unusual and the usable who have personal challenges, just like these four lepers. They, they were the most uh, unusual of people to bring the good news. There are three things that I noticed in this, and believe me, this morning, early this morning, it hit me. Three things. It does not mention their names in this text. As great as this is, they have, they are, they're saving the entire city from ruin. It doesn't mention their names. It doesn't say anyone thanked them for what they did. And it doesn't say anything about how uh, they uh, fared after this, if they were healed or not. No name. No thanks, no healing. And yet, God used them. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there are no oxen, the stall is clean, because much revenue comes from the strength of the ox. Now you say, what in the world does that have to do with us? <laughs> if you have an ox, you're going to have a dirty stall. That's like saying, where there are no babies, there are no dirty diapers. Okay? In other words, what comes with the strength of the ox is the need to clean the stall after he has done his labor. And here we are in so many churches today. One of the great sins of the church throughout America in the 1970s, and I was actually pastoring during that time, 
was that we failed to understand that in the Jesus movement, among the, among the hippies and so many of these other kids in the counterculture, that there was a mighty move of God. God was bringing them to us, and yet we had people, even in one of my churches, who said, we don't want any of them long-haired hippies in this place. We failed to see that we had a clean stall, but no oxen and no revenue from the strength of the oxen. New Christians have that great ability to be a blessing because they have a fresh testimony, a new life, and many friends that need to know the Lord that are still in their circle. I thank God for Bob Beyer. I know many of you may remember Bob. What a wonderful man. Bob, Diane is still with us. Bob's in heaven right now. But when we first came to, to Naples, uh, Janet and I had a, had a real burden for jail ministry uh, for various reasons. And it wasn't because of Chuck Colson, but because that was a great need. And the Lord put on our hearts and minds to ask Bob. And so I took Bob to lunch, and I still know where it was down on South Airport. And I, I said, Bob, you're going to be surprised when I ask you about this, but would you be willing to pray about leading and developing a jail ministry? He started laughing. He said, they won't let me in that place. And then he shared his story. He'd been a big part of organized crime in the New York City area and done a lot of bad things, apparently. He laughed. I said, I didn't know that at all, Bob. I had no idea about your past, but look what God has done. God has brought you to this place to use you with your experience and your unique background to relate to these people. And we saw God bless that for years and years. And then God uses us who are convicted of selfishness. They said, we cannot keep this to ourselves. We can't just hide and hoard what God has given. We've got to share this. Selfishness says, me first and me only. I believe the downward spiral of our culture can be seen in the titles of magazines over the last years. From life, to people, to us, to self. Can you relate to that? That's what's happened to our nation. I'm looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, if you choose to turn there. God has opened a door of opportunity for this church, hasn't he? You have a place that God has led you to on Santa Barbara. You thought at one point that the Lord was leading to Bonita Beach Road, and the Lord closed that door. Whether you say God did it or some other people did it, the Lord allowed it. He had something better. And the Lord, I believe, is speaking to us. And as I was thinking and praying about this, I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 how Paul had to remind the Corinthians that they had previously pledged to help with the depression and the famine of the Jerusalem Christians. 
In verse 6, he said, complete this gracious work and abound in it, verse 7. In verse 8, he said, you need to follow through to prove the sincerity of your love. In verse 11, I know you have a desire to do this, now finish it by your ability, in verse 11. And then in chapter 9, verse 5, he said, uh, this previously promised, this pledged gift that you made must not be hindered by covetousness. I believe if God has led you to make a pledge, He calls on you to fulfill that. Ecclesiastes, listen to this, 5-4, pay what you vow. Janet and I have tried to hold to that even at great difficulty for us. Because we believe this is what God has called us to do, to be faithful, integral, and generous. Are you willing to fulfill whatever God led you to do earlier to make this vision a reality? You pray about it. A school teacher had signed a contract, but on the very first week before school started, she came to the principal and she said, I'm taking another job, but I have peace about it. And he said, well, that's just great. You have the peace, and I have the pieces. Right? She broke her contract. Pay what you vow. And then God uses those who have enjoyed his feast. God has given us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 8, isn't he good? And gracious to us. Hasn't he given us so much? There are no ceilings on Christ's likeness. We are satisfied customers, aren't we? Righteousness is an appetite stimulant. You don't get more than you want. I remember going to Switzerland some years ago to a conference on revival, and they said, let's take a stop at the chocolate factory. And so in, in Interlochen, we went into the chocolate factory, and they, they knew how to treat Americans. They said, you have five minutes to eat as much chocolate as you want. <laughs> and like those four lepers, we, we gorged ourselves on chocolate. Proverbs says, good news puts fat on the bones. That good news put fat on the belly. <laughs> and I didn't want to look at chocolate for a long time after that. You can't get enough of Jesus and his good news. There is no law of diminishing returns. Here's one last thing. God uses the usable and the unusual to tell the good news. Did I mention that they were lepers? It was not enough for those lepers to point a rotted finger in the direction of the camp and mime eating. It was not enough to send a scroll to the king and say, go get it. They had to tell the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things, Romans ten sixteen says. How shall they hear without a preacher? or a proclaimer. We are to tell the good news. I resent how Francis of Assisi's words have been twisted when he said, 
preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Yes, we need to walk the talk, but we must tell the good news. We need to speak and explain what Jesus has done and how they do not have to die in their sin. They can be saved and forgiven because he's called us to a life of service. I was blessed to listen yesterday to the valedictory speech of a young lady from Rollins College. Elizabeth Bonkers could not speak. She could type with one finger because she is one of around 31 million autistic non-speakers in the world. And she, along with some others, were valedictorians. And she was selected to give the speech through someone else who spoke for her. And she finished her speech by urging the graduates to tear off a piece of the program. And they had given out pens already. And write the words of the most famous alum of Rollins College, Mr. Rogers. Life is for service. She wrote those words. He wrote those words, and they were found on his person the day he died. He lived that truth and that motto. If you don't know much about Mr. Rogers, he was an amazing Christian man. Life is for service. And God has called us to declare the good news. You know, when a Caesar was born, they would declare a euangelion, a gospel proclamation. It was called gospel, good news, the Caesar is born. And yet when Jesus was born into this world, the angel said, you know it so well, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. For you shepherds who are outcast, for you lepers, for you people in Naples, for all of us born a Savior who has come into this world to die for our sins. The best news we could ever give in the worst of times, the best of things in all the world, is to tell about Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer, please? My urge, urging of, at this moment is, to let these words sink in. I was, I was convicted when I watched that young lady who could not even speak of how God has blessed me with a, a voice, though sometimes not adequate, but a voice to speak His good news, His gospel. We need to tell the good news in the worst of times. Perhaps God is speaking to you about this church. Perhaps to become a member of it to help with the 
building. I'm not here on a campaign. I'm doing this because I believe God wanted me to say it. But I'm asking you to pray about doing your part. And if some of us need to recommit our lives, now is the best time possible. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. We're, we're going to ask you to stand. Our music leaders are going to lead us. And in this moment, we have the privilege of deciding, taking the first step. For some of you, it means getting up out of that very comfortable seat and walking down the front and saying, I want to make a decision. You've got to choose wisely. If you're here without Christ, why do you sit there until you die in your sins and go to a lost eternity? The choice is clear, isn't it? The choice is to come to Christ. The best thing possible. The only thing that really works. God, have your way with us today. And I pray, Lord, that people would come just as they are. If they're unusual or typical or normal, God, take us with our sins and our baggage and our hang-ups and use us. In Jesus' name, amen.